We're talking again this morning about how can we discover God's will together? We've been talking about discernment and what that means. And the verses for this morning that we are going to reflect on are found in Matthew. They're found in the 18th chapter, and they are verses 19 and 20. So it's Matthew 18, 19 and 20. And Jesus is saying again, truly, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Discerning God's will, that is, seeking his guidance, is at its very heart a corporate discipline. It is true that God clearly and profoundly guides individuals. And in our Western world's preoccupation with the individual, we have emphasized this private guidance at the expense of corporate guidance. Richard Foster notes that the, and this is a quote, teaching about divine guidance in our century has been noticeably deficient of this corporate aspect Foster goes on to tell us that how God leads through scripture, through circumstances, through individual promptings is not only individual, it is also corporate, although very little, Foster says, none of that kind of teaching has been found in Western churches. But God leads his people together, through the body of Christ, through the move of his spirit. Without such teaching, we have struggled in listening to each other and, in fact, listening together to what God might have us say. And so we end up promoting our own ideas and opinions and often suggesting that they are God's will. It has not always been this way among God's people. See, God led his people out of the land of Egypt together. Everyone saw the cloud by day. Everyone saw the fire by night. They were not just a bunch of people who met together on the trail because they were all heading out in the same direction. No, they were a people together, united under God's rule. His brooding presence, the scripture says, was over them. But they soon discovered that the presence of God was awe-filled. And so they begged Moses to be their stand-in and to be their mediator. Then God used the prophets to bring his word to his people. It was, God said himself, an accommodation for them. It was a step removed from the leading of his spirit, from his direct intervention. But the prophets, the scripture says, soon became a voice in the wilderness, sometimes heard, Sometimes obeyed, but most of often just ignored. Then Jesus came. Jesus came to gather his people to live under the rule of his spirit in obedience to his father and to remind us that heaven's voice is best heard, most clearly heard, when it is heard together. Jesus said, here's our verse. I tell you, 
that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. These words of Jesus assured his disciples that when people genuinely seek his name, his name, his voice, his will can be discovered. And with these words, Jesus gave his disciples the authority to act on his will when they had discerned it together. His discernment, you see, his will carries with it a sense of authority. And that's why in our polity, in our churches, discernment by the elders is done face to face, together. Assured of knowing God's will, the disciples became a fiery band of witnesses, declaring to anyone who would listen that God's voice could be heard, that his will could be known, and that his word and his wisdom should be obeyed. The church was birthed when followers of Jesus came together in one accord, Acts 1, and sought God's will. In the very next chapter in Acts 2, the promised spirit is poured out on the new church. And the disciples and the believers embraced the new reality that they could seek the spirit's guidance directly and that the spirit would speak to them directly. So in Acts 6, the early church came together to choose their first leaders. Some called them deacons. They did that through corporate discernment. And Luke tells us that the proposal pleased the whole group. In Acts chapter 13, the church came together to talk about missions. And Luke writes that while they were worshiping the Lord and while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. In Acts 15, the church was debating whether the Gentiles should be circumcised or not. And the apostles came together with others to discern this issue. And scripture records that after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders that God had done. And when they finished, James spoke up. He said, it's my assessment that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. And then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided. And Luke says, and so we all agreed. So the early church came together to pray, to worship, and to serve together in unity under the guidance of the Holy Spirit without voting. The word vote or voting occurs one time in the entire scripture. And on that occasion, the vote is to kill Christians. Without personal agendas, without compromise, 
So Paul, for us, when we get into the epistles, describes this new church as the body of Christ, the one body of Christ, the united body of Christ. He envisions a community where the most mature believers need the less mature believers, and the most insignificant have a significant gift to provide to the body. See, Paul envisions a community where no one person has the whole counsel of God so that they have to come together in order to discern what God wants. Today, in our world, in our culture, our neighbors and even believers remain desperately in need of a faith community that is willing to come together and seek God's voice, hear his will, and follow him in obedience. So we've been talking about discernment. So just for a moment, here's a very brief review of what we've been talking about. First, with discernment, we understand that God continues to speak through his Holy Spirit, and we can listen to him speak. In George Bernard Shaw's play, St. Joan, one of the characters asks St. Joan of Arc, why the voice of God never speaks to him as clearly as she claims it speaks to her. And she responds in this place saying, it speaks to you all the time. You just fail to listen. If we're too busy to hear God, we're too busy. And while we often resonate with Jacob when he said, surely the Lord is in this place and, and I, I just was not aware of it. That is not the relationship that God longs to have with his children. You see, discernment is rooted in our ongoing and continual awareness of God's presence and our prioritizing of listening to his voice. Second, our ability to discern and obey God's will is directly correlated to our relationship with him. That is, the more we know him, the more clearly we hear his, vo hear his voice and can step into his guidance. Third, discernment is a process. It reflects the slow work of God. You see, Paul reminds us in Philippians and in 1 Corinthians that we are to put on the mind of Christ, but we do that gradually, gradually as we seek God's guidance and as we obey his will. God reveals his will to us one step at a time, one puzzle piece at a time, if you will. And while God knows the whole script, that is, while God can see the picture well in advance, God wants us to live by faith and not by sight. And so God reveals his will to us on a need-to-know basis. Here's a step. Are you willing to take it? Here's the next step. Are you willing to go there as well so that we have to walk close to him in order for us to know and discern his will? God is seldom early, but God is never late. Fourth, spiritual discernment requires a gentle receptivity. That is, while God can speak to us directly, face-to-face, -face, if you will, like he did to people like Moses and Elijah and Mary and Saul, most often he provides his will to us through our thoughts, through promptings, through feelings of consolation and desolation. This 
gentle receptivity to God's voice has been vital to believers for centuries. Fifth, spiritual discernment happens best within a faith community. The community carries our faith when we're weak. It provides a collective understanding of the scripture so we don't go off in some weird or strange direction. It validates what we are hearing from God by the voices of what others are hearing and it holds us accountable to the will of God that he is revealing to us. No discernment is infallible. But the more people that are involved, the greater the effectiveness. Separate from community, our discernments increasingly resemble our own personal opinions. We need each other. That's the way God in his wisdom designed it to be. Sixth, spiritual discernment requires sharing what we hear from God with each other. You see, we need a community where we can openly speak our heart as well as our mind. We need to focus on God's guidance, not our personal opinions. Sadly, most faith communities are not all that safe. Many communities regularly betray confidences, gossip behind people's back, and even ridicule people for what they're saying and sharing. As a result, people have backed off. People are unwilling to share the piece of the puzzle that they have, the word from the Lord that they might have received. And as a result, the community is diminished and our discernment is less clear. And then seventh and finally, at its best, spiritual discernment is more than just a rational, reasonable discussion of the facts. Because God has given us other gifts that can lead to discernment as well. All combined intuition, imagination, our memory, and our feelings. God speaks to all of those all together. And they lead us to a greater understanding of what God's guidance really is and his will on our life. So I think we intuitively understand that there is something distinctive about spiritual leadership. And while we can make a list of what those distinctions might be at the very heart of spiritual leadership, as opposed to secular leadership, is the ability to hear and discern and respond to God's will, to do that both personally in our own lives, but also to be able to do it as a community. It is easier said than done. In addition to our default focus on human knowledge and wisdom and experience and our own common sense, spiritual leaders patiently listen for and recognize the promptings of God's spirit within us and among us. A spiritual leader recognizes that the stakes are considerably higher because we are dealing with spiritual souls, with eternal souls, rather than with customers and consumers and citizens. A spiritual leader is distinguished by his or her commitment to be able to guide and their ability to engage in the process of spiritual discernment. They're able to walk with the whole body of Christ so that we can together affirm God's guidance and step out together. A spiritual leader is one who is consciously and continuously aware of God's presence. A spiritual leader practices the presence of God 
Things like solitude and silence and scripture and prayer. And they're secure enough in their faith that they're able to wait on the Lord. They're able to hear God's still small voice. They're able to be pushed by that gentle nudge of the Spirit. And while most leaders can identify what needs to be fixed or what problem needs to be solved, a spiritual leader understands that they are not the one who fixes. They are not the one who solves. They're not even the one who has to figure it out. It's all God. While most leaders just ooze with self-confidence, a spiritual leader recognizes they don't have all the answers. And it's okay. Because they're not in charge. And they're not in control. A spiritual leader is deeply invested in spiritual transformation. Theirs and others. And they lead out of a God-nourished soul. And they lead out of their own transforming self. You see, corporate discernment requires a spiritually discerning leadership. Corporate discernment requires a leadership and a community that are committed together to actively seek to know what God's will really is. As they make the decisions that need to be made. Corporate discernment requires leaders and participants who are serious about cultivating their own personal and their faith community spiritual transformation. Corporate discernment requires leaders and a community seriously committed to obeying what they discover to be God's will in all aspects of their life and community together. Christ's church needs pastors and elders and deacons and staff and ministry leaders and disciples who are fully committed to pursuing God's will together. Nothing more. Nothing less, nothing else. So in addition to the biblical examples we've already cited from Acts 6 and Acts 13 and Acts 15, Acts 6, you'll remember, was how does the New Testament church elect or select leaders? Acts 13 was how does the church determine its ministry priorities? Acts 15 is an example of how the churches address contentious issues that are before them. But let me offer you some other concrete examples of how this discernment works in faith communities even today. Method one, seeking the advice of intercessors. Seeking the advice of intercessors. St. Francis of Assisi was wondering if he should devote himself only to prayer or he should also add the preaching ministry to it. So he turned to some intercessors in order to discover God's will. He sent a message to Sister Claire and to Brother Sylvester and he asked them to pray. And they did. And when their messengers arrived with word of what they had been hearing from God, he prepared a meal for them. And then he asked them, what does my Lord Jesus require me to do? And each messenger, one at a time, said, he wants you to go about the world preaching. He did not call you to yourself alone, but for the salvation of others. 
And when he received that message from the intercessors, St. Francis is said to have jumped up onto his feet and said, so let's go in the name of the Lord. And he went. Do we know who has the gift, the spiritual gift of intercession? Are we using them to discern what God's word is, his guidance, his direction? Do we know what they're hearing? Second, a clearness meeting. A clearness meeting. Clearness meetings are gatherings that are called to seek the mind of the spirit in relationship to a specific question or to resolve a particular issue. Quakers, you may have heard of them, still govern by clearness meetings. So for example, a young man seeking counsel on whether he should enter the ministry gathers a group of spiritually mature believers around him who can be very candid and direct with him. They provide no earth-shattering insight or vision, but as they worship and as they pray together over the next few weeks, they become for him a supportive community. Over a period of time, this young man's gifts and his calling to ministry are confirmed. At Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., they require people that are interested in getting married to submit to a discernment team. Several members who know the couple come alongside of them to assess the couple's readiness for marriage, their commitment to one another, and their maturity. They've also told couples that it would not be wise for them to get married. Several years ago, I watched a family gather in a hospital room to talk about their mother's impending death. Decisions had to be made. There was a deep concern in that room to make sure that everybody was involved in the discussion, in the process, not merely to inform some people after the decisions had already been made. So they were all there. The room was full. Children and their children were all there gathered around their mother's bed. And they talked it through until they all, including the mother, agreed. And in that time, I saw a picture of how I think God longs for his family to make decisions. With our focus, you see, on rights in our Western world, we have lost all sense of community participation in our discernment. So, for example, marriage once the result of families coming together to discern, is now based solely on the decision of two individuals. Family and friends are merely involved by being invited to watch and to bring gifts. And the divorce rate is out of control. And it is not a coincidence. Or church membership. Church membership today is considered to be a personal decision People change churches. That is, they break commitments and they break community like it doesn't affect anybody else but themselves. And increasingly, people just attend worship rather than be the church. Third method, listening to the body. In a typical meeting, and this includes many church meetings, facts are presented and discussed. The pros and cons are then debated. Speeches are made. Persuasion techniques are used to sway the vote. And decisions are made by majority. 
And so when people walk out of the meeting, some walk out winners and some walk out losers. We have noted that decisions in the early church were made with prayer and consensus. Acts 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. Acts 15, and so they all agreed. Unity, you see, in the early church was a primary and uncompromisable value. Spiritual unity is, is more than just mere agreement. It is the conviction that together we have heard the voice of God and together we are committed to seeing it happen. This unity is only possible if we're going to start by seeking his will together. Please understand, God is one. God does not speak dupliciously. That is, he does not say one thing to Bob and he does not say something totally different and contrary to Peter. So if we're hearing two conflicting responses, the truth is one or both of them are not from God. God is a God of unity. He is one. If we listen carefully, if we listen together, as mature and maturing believers, we will hear one voice. I'll be honest. I was hesitant when I first started talking about the importance and significance of spiritually discerning together instead of the decision-making model that I'd been a part of most of my life. I mean, what if we talked about this? What if we went through all the time of training a, conversation, a con congregation as to what we were doing with spiritual discernment? What if we convinced the council to change the DNA of how we did something and went from deciding to discerning? What if we told everybody how wonderful this work would work and, and then it didn't? And I realized I was more interested and concerned about how foolish I might look than about fully stepping into what I believe is God's will. So for the first few times I walked through with a, with a community, with people and doing discernment, I prayed a lot. I prayed that God would work this out so we would come to unity. I didn't matter what the decision was, just so we would come to a, a unified conclusion. I basically prayed that God would be faithful. And God is, always is. I've never been disappointed in his faithfulness. So I've walked with churches as they've decided whether or not to launch a satellite through the women in office issue and saw God use his spirit to bring a very divided church together as they decided the issue. I walked with the church through whether they should sell the parsonage that so many members of that congregation had given their blood, sweat, and tears to put up. I walked with the church as they decided how to re-engage worship in the middle of a pandemic and on several occasions through the calling of a new pastor. And in each of those situations, God was good and God was faithful and God provided clear discernment. The process is slower. 
but the unity was maintained. And as a result, the churches continued to grow. See, there are many circumstances that call for intentionally seeking God's will. And during such times, spiritual leaders call God's people together to discern what that might be. Corporate discernment is a spiritual practice. It's not always mechanical. It's not always linear. It's not a step-by-step process always. And as we become more focused and comfortable with discerning instead of just simply deciding and moving on, we'll begin to experience it as a creative mix of very dynamic movements of God's spirit. So last week we talked about the steps. We said the first step is to listen for the deeper question. What is it that God is asking us to discern? Not all questions warrant a full discernment process. But what's the, at the heart of what we need to know from God? Second, it's involving the right people. Who should be involved so that we can effectively listen for and hear the voice of God? Is this one just for the staff? Is this one for just the elders? Is this one for the whole council? Is this for the intercessors? Is this for the entire church? Maybe we should even ask people in the community. We need to trust that God can work through his people. Third, we need to establish the process and the guiding values in advance and agree on them. Things like providing sufficient time to pray together and listen for God's leading to be committed to sharing the whole truth, even if the truth God gives us doesn't support our opinion and our agenda. We need to assume that an individual's contributions will be made confidential and we're not going to point at people like they're responsible. Receiving all the sharing of what we're hearing with love and grace. We need to diligently try to seek consent to delay any decision-making if unity can't be... can be attained. Can we really think of a time, any time, when the unity that Jesus prayed for for his church is expendable and we don't need to care about it? We need to learn to pray together. Discernment requires extended prayer. These, as we talked last week, include prayers for indifference and wisdom and quiet trust. But if we want to hear God speak, we have to engage him. We need to actively listen for God's voice from his scripture, from the traditions of the church, from the inner promptings of God's spirit, from pertinent facts and information, from listening to others and their experiences, and from those who will be most impacted by the decision that we're required to make. And then we need to select an option that seems most consistent with God's leading. What is God offering that is natural and easy? What is it that brings a sense of consolation? Is there an an option that enables us to do some things before we have to do everything? Who can fully know the mind of God? How often does our discernment, how often does our discernment puzzle have all the pieces in it? It might be rare for a discerning group to receive a perfect, undebatable message from the Holy Spirit. But if we actively seek God's will together, it will bring clarity, it will bring energy, it will bring unity, and it will bring a greater sense of commitment if we have participated in it all together. And if people still have some reservations, we need to listen to what they're experiencing and to see what God might 
be telling us through their reservations or their, through, through their hesitations. Maybe something just needs to be tweaked or adjusted. And if things remain unclear, maybe we need to slow down. And then finally, we need to implement. We need to seek confirmation. We need to review it. Learning to listen and discern the movement of the Holy Spirit is life-changing for all who enter into the process. On a personal level, our faith journeys are impacted in profound ways. People begin to value and trust their ability to discern the will of God in their own personal lives. And then together, our journey is strengthened as we share the leading of the Spirit together. Dallas Willard says God's desire is for an inclusive community of loving disciples with himself, with God as the prime sustainer and the most glorious inhabitant. We long for a community that is learning that prayer is not simply a means of getting God to do what we want, but it is a place where we listen for his voice and then align our heart with it. We long for a community living under the immediate and total rulership of his spirit. We long for a community discovering humility and awe and wonder as we live our life together. We long for a community where people are blinded by all other loyalties except our loyalty to a wonderful and splendorous God. We long for a community expressing the love of Jesus Christ Tenderly aggressive, meekly powerful, suffering and overcoming. We long for a community living in the Spirit's transformation from the inside out. We long for a community determined to live out the demands of the gospel in a secular world. But we will never know that community without first knowing and discerning the Spirit's guidance, God's guidance. But if we listen, and if we listen together, God will lead us as we seek to build his church and his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we long to be the community that you have called us to be. A community focused, undeterred on Jesus prompted by the Spirit to go wherever you will call. It's our prayer, Lord, that we will go as one together in community with you. Hear our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.